This episode of the Obehave podcast is very near and dear to my heart because I got my start in education. As a special education teacher, I loved working with my students and helping them and overcoming challenges with them. And special education led me to discovering behavior analysis and how this approach can benefit and help my students and really any student. And the reality is is that behavior analysis as an application is effectively being scientific teachers using data and information to inform our decisions and improve outcomes for our students. One of the areas that frustrates me when it comes to behavior analysis is and education is the kind of lack of connection between the two and so as I was going through and editing this podcast I thought it would be important to to share these thoughts about how um, really as behavior analysts it's our responsibility to improve these relationships to pair uh, and connect with the teachers and the administrators that we work with and I hope that this podcast gives you some information that will help you with that. Uh, Anthony offers a lot of really good insights and his and my discussion, um, I hope, can benefit your relationships with other teachers, whether you be um, a teacher yourself or and also benefit relationships as a BCBA, both either in district or coming from the outside. Either way, one of the most important behavior repertoires that we have to consider as behavior analysts and teachers is our relationships with others and how our actions reflect our values and seek to create better outcomes. Ultimately, I have seen all the behavior analysts that I've worked with have a desire and to be caring and making a difference in the world. and. I believe that this is a commonly held value between most, if not all, behavior analysts and teachers. So as you listen to this podcast, whether you be a student of behavior analysis, a veteran behavior analyst, or a new behavior analyst, think about the ways that you can use this information and other pieces of information towards improving outcomes and making a difference. Hello and welcome to the OBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Middleton. And today I have Anthony Bronat coming onto the show to talk to us about education, consulting with teachers and administrators. Welcome, Anthony. Hey, hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, could you uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. So I'm originally from uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I left Dayton in 1992 to come up to um, to Toledo, Ohio. I've been here since 1990, uh, since 1992, um, working uh, with children since uh, 1996 in a, a, a juvenile detention centers, uh, residential treatment facilities, uh, as a special ed teacher, English teacher, I'm a dean of students, assistant principal, principal. Um, my education background is a bachelor's in education. Um, I was a thesis short of my master's in special education because I didn't finish my um, thesis. 
Um, so then I went back and got my master's in uh, administration and supervision, and then just recently completed my, well, in the last two or three years of coursework um, to be a board certified behavior analyst. And that's where I'm at now. And um, I'm extremely happy I made that, that change. It's definitely less stressful. I bet. <laughs> I, I don't think there's many behavior analysts who have gone from school administration to behavior analysis. I know there's quite a few of us who've gone from special education or education to behavior analysis, but that's definitely a unique journey. It, it has been, and you're right. When I, you know, looking at the, um, you know, like different social media posts or whatnot, you see a lot of um, special ed teachers saying, hey, I want to get into, B, you know, to um, ABA and, you know, what school is the right fit and, you know, where should I go and what should I do? And, but I've noticed quite a few are have a background in special ed so definitely uh tends to be a pattern i think the the caring the caring professions slash areas all have that that overlap and that desire to help and, and make a difference definitely with patients like if, if you can if you can work in a juvenile detention center or a jail um and, and you can do special ed um in any capacity it requires patients so it just seemed like a um, a transition for me was a midlife, you know, like, Hey, I got to do something different. You know, I feel that when you, you know, you start to get burnt out, um, you start making mistakes and you, you know, you just don't have the love for it anymore. And this kind of revigorated my, you know, um, my career and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and who I wanted to help. And so this has actually been a wonderful journey. It's awesome. Well, with regards to education, then you, you have a pretty unique perspective when it comes to consulting, uh, especially from the administrative side. So what are some of your thoughts on, on behavior analysis and, and what, we, what we have to offer? Uh, I'm, gonna do a, I'm gonna be very unfair and, I'll, and you can ask me to repeat this later if you want. What do we, what do we have to offer to um, the education world, one and two? What are some of the biggest mistakes that behavior analysts make from your perspective that we really need to work on? Um, you can answer any order you want. Okay, so the biggest part that I've noticed is the paradigm shift that is required when um, either going from, as an administrator to a, a BCBA or a BCBA to an administrator or a teacher. It's just your whole thought process and how training took place um, in undergrad and in grad school um, and in a lot of special ed programs. Now, you know, in a lot of, um, you know, universe, at least in Ohio, they're adding in like, um, you know, maybe a coursework or one class um, in ABA. Um, but I also believe that there needs to be more. Um, and for like for general ed um, teachers, special ed teachers, um, if you're dealing with children, if you're dealing with anything that has to do with behaviors, you know, and a, a college coursework, I think ABA, there should be some form of ABA, either as a prerequisite uh, or, you know, in your actual major. So what I noticed, you know, one of my biggest things that I would notice is when we would do functional behavior assessments and we were only doing them or completing them in the event that a student needed to be suspended from school or a manifestation determination. So a lot of times we'd get in, we're filling out the paperwork, but we didn't really do any of the, um, you know, like 
determine the function. We didn't determine, um, you know, like, like we determined it just by talking, but we didn't do anything else or what have you. And it was a lot more than literally just signing off on it so that we can give it to the special ed supervisor so they could take it to the hearing officer so we could proceed with, um, you know, a hearing for the record. And so that, you know, but when you're in it and you don't know any different, you think it's right. And then when you get out and you're like taking your coursework and you're learning, you're like, hold on, this isn't, we were just, you know, rewarding kids and, you know, with vacations and getting them out of school and then wondering like, why, wow, why is our um, attendance rate so low? Why is our high school graduation rate so low? Well, we're kicking them out, you know, we're re reinforcing all this, these different behaviors. And so as a consultant, what I want to come in, you know, like to do is to go into, you know, and work with principals, um, specifically new principals or principals that have very little background in ABA. Um, and my primary job with Century Healthcare is that I work with um, small children, but I also want to get into the classrooms and talk to teachers and administrators on how they can support what we're doing in the home and how we can support what they're doing in the classroom. And that's been really helpful when, in terms of when I'm looking at IEPs and I'm like, wow, these IEPs are kind of mimicking my VB map or my AFLs or my ABLES. And then the parents are like, yes, they're working on the same thing. And then you see that growth because now you used a great word. There's it's coopetition. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I thoroughly enjoy that process of seeing those light bulb moments when consulting with, you know, um, teachers and administrators. Yeah, that, that makes a big difference, especially when um, <clears throat> the puzzle pieces click together, there's understanding. Um, I, my um, last two years of teaching was also while I was working on my um, postmaster's cert in behavior analysis. And um, I saw a huge difference as I started applying behavior analytic principles. Um, for, for those folks who don't know, I came from a special ed background um, and I was the behavior specialist for my school. Um, and so I worked with the mild moderate kids who tended to have a lot of behavioral problems. Um, and by the time I left that school, we had 100% inclusion for those kids. Wow. We, we do a little, like we'd have study halls and things like that, but those were, those were already built into the day. Um, and I had several kids who, um, what we would do so that it was a behavior intervention for them because they wanted to participate in the electives is they'd be enrolled in my study hall, but then um, the elective teachers would have them on their, on their classroom roles. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a beautiful contingent escape where it basically if their if their assignments were turned in and there was a threshold that we had so that way it was not impossible for them and the focus was on a the discrete behavior of assignments completed not on not on grade because okay. like i've noticed that when there's a large number of missing assignments that there tends to be lower grades below d's but if, there, if all the assignments or a good portion of the assignments are turned in, that, that the grade level tends to be higher um, and comprehension tends to go up as well. Although not always, um, 
which is why the accommodations were in place. But the, the rule was, and I think I had like three kids um, that we did this with, um, we, they come check in. And if they did, if they were within the threshold of missing assignments, um, they just go to their elective class. And it was a, it was a beautiful contingent escape. But if they had missing assignments, then we'd hold them back. We get the assignment that needed to be done, done as quickly as possible and then get them to class. So it wasn't like you're out. I'm sorry, you lost it. it there was a way of getting to it. Um, and it's interesting because, uh, two of those kids that I'm thinking of um, when we created, when we first started doing this, um, they very quickly caught on and they started doing their, their work in class um, instead of just sitting and doing nothing. Okay. And so I maybe had them come to the study hall maybe three times during an entire school year after that. Um, and in Two of those cases for one of the kids, it was, I didn't want to participate in that. And I felt like I would rather work on my assignments than, than participate <laughs> in that class. So I was a contingent escape in that case. And I, and I honored that, but like kids who were consistently getting in trouble, uh, truancy issues, things like that, it completely turned around their experience because we looked at the function of the behavior and we made it more efficient for them to be able to do good student behaviors than to not. And we also provided tons of, of reinforcement for doing those good student behaviors. Um, and in the case of one particular kid, it really all he needed was some attention. Um, he, he was getting the, uh, brief FA I did was that he was getting, uh, attention from not participating because he was getting a lot of scolding and attention from teachers right. each time he didn't do something. And, and all it took was that, that little bit of like, Hey, Joe, if you could pick up that pencil and write a sentence and then right. he picks up the pencil and writes a letter. And I, Nice going, Joe. I'm looking, I like what you're doing. I look forward to seeing what the next thing you're going to do is. And then go over to the other kid, work with them, come back. Oh, I have a full, um, a full three words. <laughs> I like where you're going with this. Let's keep going, man. Boom. Go off to the other kid, just circulating back. And it, it just makes all the difference. Yeah. And you're teaching the replacement behavior. You're teaching like what you want and not what you don't want. Yeah. You know, and so you, and you look at it and you probably, you know, remember this from, you know, as a teacher, you know, a lot of the classroom rules that we would use would be, do not do this. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. Don't do this. And, and there would be what, seven to 10 things of what not to do, <laughs> you know, yeah. that you had to keep going over and over. Like, what does that rule say? You know, but it wasn't until later. I'm like, okay, why are we fixated on, you know, what we don't want them to do? Let's talk about what we want them to do. And through, through ABA and coursework and what have you, you know, looking at replacement behaviors and teaching alternative behaviors and, and compatible behaviors. It was like, oh, I'm using, you know, differential reinforcement, but I didn't uh -huh. know it was differential reinforcement. I was using non-contingent reinforcement, like, you know, like, oh, okay. I'm doing so high P request sequences, and, but I didn't know yeah, that's what I was yeah. doing. <laughs> or for one of the biggest things, I, know, I remember making a mistake, you know, like in the cafeteria watching, you know, 300 kids you know, I'm using the hero, 
or group contingency, you know, but I'm using it on a kid that I know won't be able to do it. <laughs> so if he doesn't do it and then no one gets it. Then they're all mad at him. Then, I'm, you know, it's like, you know, but those were things that we learned from other educators, you know, like we learned, you know, like typically you do what you were taught, what you know. So it's like, this isn't right. You know, so just going in and, and fine tuning schools, classrooms, office areas, um, and all those different type of things all play into the whole, like the culture of what you want your school to be. And it, and, and it funnels down to what you want your classroom to be. What do you want your hallways to look like? And it's a little bit of, you know, my um, training through PBIS, a little bit from responsive classroom and social and emotional learning, and then adding my experience as an administrator and ABA to that and trying to like mold and like it's my framework, if you will, and I'm creating a picture, you know, of what I want things to look like or how that building administrator wants their building to be. Remind our audience what PBIS stands for, if you. Um, positive behavior, positive behavior support. Okay. That's PBIS, but intervention support. So intervention positive behavior, yeah. intervention support. I forgot what the I stood for. I thought it was interventions, but yeah. yeah. Um, so usually PBIS tends to be uh, a lot of group contingencies, although there are some uh, in-school um, contingencies. Uh, one of our, our previous guests, um, Jennifer Lord, mentioned multi-tiered systems of supports, which is just another approach, MTIS, uh, MTIS, MTSS, sorry. <laughs> Lots of acronyms. <laughs> I'm, I'm NGWA. That stands for not good with acronyms. <laughs> Anyways, I'm but the, I'm about to say one. In my head, I'm thinking, oh, okay, what is that one? What does that one mean? Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> exactly. So. But the point being, there's multiple acronyms for very similar ideas. But um, when it comes to being a behavior analyst, we're, we're typically, unless you're working for the school district, um, and typically school district, when you're working for a school district, you don't, you're not required to be a BCBA. Um, although that's not always the case. It depends on the school district and the state you're working for and, and those sorts of things. But um, for example, in the state of Tennessee, where I live, um, you need to be a BCBA, but uh, to, well, you don't need to be a BCBA, but to practice with insurance, you have to have a be a licensed behavior analyst for the state of Tennessee. Um, but to work for a school district, BCBA is enough. You don't have to be an LBA. Um, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of different things that you have to go through, but long and short of it is if you're coming out as an outsold, outside, in for, as an outside consultant, I'm going to say that 10 times fast. If you come from the outside into the school as an outside consultant, then what you're what you have to do is figure out how to slot into this system and be a support. Um, yes, and, and you're right. And for, cause I had to do for Ohio cause I'm licensed in Ohio, mm -hmm. um, but I can do that and I'm licensed in Michigan. And so, and you, you, you're, I don't, I think you're about to touch on a key part. It's like now when you're getting all these stakeholders in a meeting mm -hmm. and getting everyone to get along. So, uh, so I have a funny story uh, real quick. So awesome. I, yeah, so this, I was in Chicago literally like last week and I met up with one of my um, childhood friends who's now, he's about my age or whatever. 
And so we go into his house and he introduced me, introduces me to his wife. And so just through small talk, I said, so what do you do? She's like, oh, I'm an occupational therapist at, you know, here in Chicago public schools. Oh, great. She's like, and, and you? I was like, I'm a BCBA. I was like, I'm assuming you know what that is. She was like, oh yeah, yeah. And the whole, <laughs> the, 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 the demeanor, the atmosphere changed. I was like, is there something wrong? She was like, I'm not a big fan of, you know, ABA. Like I really just don't agree with it. And I was like, hmm. So now first thing I have to think of, cause I'm, I'm using what I've just talked about as far as like operating in a, in a meeting, but now I'm operating in a personal conversation. Yeah. So then I was like, don't want to turn her off because clearly she's already turned off because of something or what have you. So I was like, so kind of tell me about why. And she's like, well, they're always trying to give them too many hours and uh, forcing kids to, you know, get reinforcers if they don't. And I was like, all right. So after, after drinks, it started to calm down a little bit, but then she was still able to kind of, you know, like express why. And I was like, so it, I was like, it appears to me your, um, your feelings regarding ABA are more so in regards to how, you know, hours are being dealt and mm -hmm. or being assigned and how many hours. And, you know, if the kid is in school for eight hours and now they're responsible to you know participate in ABA for another three or four hours she's like that's just too much so I was like so it's not really the principles of ABA it's how some individuals or companies have put um, forth ABA out in regards to hours and billing she's like yes and I was like okay we're making some room <laughs> I was like yeah <laughs> like okay Good. Well, and I've I've worked with quite a few OTs and, and I've had some really amazing conversations with uh, OTs and and PTs and and uh, speech speech therapists or pathologists, um, and some of them actually do have concerns with principles of behavior analysis, but not so much the principles, but rather how they were applied. Yes. Um, and when I go in, when I get into the 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 bushes with them, and I speak on speak to their knowledge level instead of speaking down to them. That's, that's key. Um, a lot of times, I think there's only been one instance and that's where the conversation got shut down before it could even get started. But in every other in instance, it's been more like, Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. So this is a, this has to do a lot with application. We need to address some issues here. And I'm like, exactly. And sometimes let's be totally honest. Sometimes BCBAs can be total assholes. And, yes. and, and that, she said, that's exactly, <laughs> you must've been in the room with me. Cause she said that. And I was like, well, if you ever need to consult with me, you know, not, you know, on a, on a um, you know, monetary level, but just, Hey, run some things by me, say, you know, like I'm be more, I'd be more than happy to help you because I think, cause I can only imagine IEP meeting prior to me having this conversation with her probably was already like the body language everything was probably speaking to why are you even here <laughs> you know and then, then she said well and then we're in the meetings and they don't say anything they just nod their heads and then the meeting's over they sign off on it and go and I was like you had some really tough experiences I was like so on behalf of ABA I apologize I was like but it's not like that everywhere <laughs> yeah you know well so, and to be fair my experience being a special ed teacher um, 
I've, I've been in, I have been in a IEP meeting where I have screwed up as a BCBA and it was brought to my attention. And I think a big part of addressing the problems and granted, I, I burnt some bridges. I made some mistakes, but I'm hoping that I'm repairing those bridges because one of the first things I did the next meeting, when I, when it was brought to my attention and I acknowledged it and I in, immediately took ownership of it instead of doing the, well, he said, well, she said that sort of thing. Yeah. So I took ownership of it. And at the next meeting, I said, at that last meeting, I behaved unprofessionally and I'm sorry. That's extremely I, vulnerable for you to do that. And even to say it again right now, like that, besides anything, like I'm happy and proud that you did that because that takes a lot to admit to others, you know, when you've made a mistake. But that's, I, I think a big part of the reason why we have these conflicts, why we have these challenges is because we think we're, we think we have competing values, right? We think that the other person is, is not seeing the value or they're not, they're not doing something, they're not living up to a value, that sort of thing. And, and we make that mistake of assigning intent, which is a very mentalistic thing to do, yeah. right? Um, and, and we're vulnerable to it as much as anybody else. Um, so we assign intent, intent and we forget that by doing that, we're not living our values. Yes. And, and being vulnerable and being able to own, I screwed up is living my values, but, right. but hiding it and pretending like I'm not that behavior principles of behavior don't operate on me. That's not living my values. No, not at all. Yeah. That's exact opposite. That's avoiding my values. So yeah. But anyways, I'm sorry. I, I took over the conversation. No, 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 that was, no, that was perfect because that wasn't, I mean, I'm talking about, things that I've noticed and whatnot and you know good bad or indifferent but you were able to also like hey so it's not immune to just you know like it's like everyone has these issues where mm -hmm. you make mistakes or what have you and because ABA is so vast you know like depending on what year you were going in you know like you might be like I'm just excited to give all this information I'm excited to do this I'm excited yeah. to you know and then before you know it, you're like, okay, not everyone shares this excitement. <laughs> you know, not everyone shares the 1500 hours that I had to put in and, and the coursework and not that they had to do anything, you know, that wasn't um, compatible or competing with that or compatible, but just having that opportunity to say that I'm sure, hey, you know what Brian said? Hey, look what, and that travels, yeah. you know, that travels. And then, you know, now, you know, your own self-management, if you will, now you're looking at different things to say, all right, let me make sure I don't say this or do this. So now I'm more, I'm aware. So, and as a consultant, that's what I want to be able to, to help, you know, teams out as well. Like the, I know they're different, they're called different things all over the States and like um, intervention response teams, mm -hmm. or, um, we call them, er, yeah, intervention response teams, which came together every month to review data and what have you. And, but a lot of times, you know, some teachers were doing it not because they really had a love for it, it was to get out of the classroom for yeah. a day. <laughs> you know, like, hey, I get to get out of the classroom for a day. Now I get, sometimes I get to step out to help do these reports or whatever, you know, but is there a real love for really wanting to help kids succeed using um, behavior interventions 
so that they don't even get to the MFDs part or yeah. the IEP part. Like, so because a lot of teachers, you know, they're upset, understandably so, frustrated with behaviors. How do we get them out? How do we push these? How do we get these kids into, you know, regardless if it's the right thing or not, how do we get them out? And a lot of times what I've realized is through relationships, you know, not necessarily the kid was struggling. It was, you know, especially for those kids that are emotionally impaired or again, the acronyms change, you know, from state to state, but severe behaviors, you know, a lot of the times I just want to get them out of my classroom. What do I need to do to make that happen? You know, and it happens a lot. And so my experience as an administrator and then as a teacher and now as a BCBA, I, you know, I could triangulate that, if you will, to be able to say, eh, we need to be looking at it from this um, perspective or this perspective and then bring that all to the table. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think the, the acting as a consultant we have an advantage of because sometimes when you're in the weeds, um, in the trenches, in, on the, in the field, whatever you want to call it, however you want to refer to it, um, direct, uh, it's, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. And having been a teacher, I can speak to that. Having been an RBT, I can speak to that. Um, because it, it, it can be quite difficult. And if the BCBA is coming in with the right attitude, um, not coming in arrogant and full of themselves, but rather coming in there like, how can I help? May I share this perspective with you? Here's some things that I've noticed. Would you mind me telling you? Things like that. Mm -hmm. Just coming in with that humility um, makes all the difference because when you come in with that humility, um, the other individual is more, more open. I guess you could consider it like a motivating operations, like um, establishing operation for listening is coming in with the right body language and the right word choices towards the person and speaking to them, not at them. Um, and an abolishing operation for hearing out what you have to say is coming in, spouting off a bunch of jargon, strutting your stuff. Right. And then like, I know everything I've been through grad school and I've had to do all these hours and all this <laughs> other stuff. And it's like, you know what? I get it. I've been through that. I've had to pass that stinking exam too. And it is not an easy exam. And sometimes I wonder if it's, it's if, it, if it's that way, just because it weeds people out and it's hard for no other reason than that. But so we have a lot to be proud of because we've accomplished something. But if we, if we wear that on our sleeves, what are we doing to break down communication? Right. Like, especially when it comes to other helping professionals like the PTs, the OTs, the speech pathologists, those sorts of folks. Um, sometimes we'll, this happened actually earlier this week, uh, somebody was talking about something that, I'm not even gonna name it because people freak out, but um, a, an idea was mentioned that there's a lot of behavior analytic research that big air quotes here disproves it. And um, this person mentioned it and, and I had a, a um, grad student in with me when, when this was mentioned and he, afterwards, this person pulled me aside and was like, well, did you hear that? And I'm like, yeah, hold on a second though. They mentioned that thing, but do we shut down the conversation 
or do we dive into the behavior principles that are happening within it? Like, we actually haven't done any research as far as I know on this concept with behavior principles integrated. So as far as we know, it itself by itself has been ruled out as being effective, but what are the behavior analytic principles that are in play that are making it effective for this person and these kids? Right. So why would we shut down another professional when instead we could build them up? I, I totally agree. I, I yes. And same thing goes for teachers. Yes, right. And just trying to like, you know, not just exit out because it's not your expertise or, you know, something that you know a lot about, like, well, how can I manipulate or how can I dive deeper into this concept mm -hmm. to see what behavior principles are at play that we can look into, you know, and I, I can focus on that part or, you know, and many times you know like through mock exams or whatever like what other um uh, and what was it what i just lost my thought uh sorry you're okay natural flow no worries about it yes yeah, like <laughs> it'll come back to me like tonight <laughs> well i i'll wake up and go oh that's what it was you know? i i think i might know where you're going with that like with the mock exams with the mastery of all these terminology that sort of stuff like we, we get really into it and we get really super skilled at this thing, but uh, it, more specifically at the language. But I think what shows really true mastery is the ability to take the really big solid concepts that the behavior ease helps us understand and translate it into terms that other people can understand it. Oh, collecting data. Yes, Absolutely. there we go. Okay. Collecting data. That's okay. You may not, it may not be your cup of tea or what have you, but if I can dive deeper into it, find the behavior principles that are um, at play, and then I'll, and that's where I was coming in with the mock exams because a lot of the questions would say, well, could the BCBA do this? What else could, could go on? Like, well, I guess I could collect data mm -hmm. on certain things. As long as I let people know, like, hey, I'm not, it's not behavior analytic, but I can collect data to see so we can come back later to the table to determine whether or not we need to you know, continue with this um, or not. Thank you. That was no worries. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we have an advantage when it comes to education because, um, because of IDEA, uh, which is uh, 1999 and 2004, those are the two big laws that influence individualized education programs or plans. Um, so IDEA, has requirements that are written into the law. They're, they're not very well defined, but one of the things that is defined is um, behavior intervention plans and functional behavior assessments. Um, uh, and yes, a functional behavior assessment in education is not the same thing as a functional behavior assessment in behavior analysis, but I'll tell you right now, my, my FBAs that I conducted when I was a special ed teacher going through um, the graduate program or post uh, postgraduate because it was a certificate, but whatever. Um, they improved significantly in quality once I learned how to do them. And my supervisor was like, wait, how often do you do these? And I'm like, yeah, this is like at least once a month minimum that I'm doing these because I have to update them pretty frequently. And then with the behavior intervention plan, 
BIP or BSP if your behavior support plan, depending on where in the country you're at um, or the world, I guess you could say. Um, with the BSP or B, uh, for a BIP, uh, same thing. Like my quality went up and instead of it being what it was before, which is there's the software that we have and we click these things and we fill out the things and then we do kind of sort of those things, but I didn't quite understand all the terminology that was being used, but it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I'm doing the best I can because this is what I was taught and the school's doing the best they can because it's the resources they had. Now, with that knowledge, you can act as support. We can act as support. And when I, with that knowledge as a, a graduate student, I actually taught the SPED teachers around me and I showed um, a couple of my colleagues how to run a behavior support plan meeting um, mm -hmm. and showed them how to run this stuff. Um, and thankfully my supervisor was able to be there to supervise. So that was unrestricted hours out the wazoo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like when I left and it, it was a, it was a heartbreaking thing that I, when I left, but it was also necessary for me, um, for my growth. But when I left, I at least felt reassured that I had equipped some peers, some colleagues with some skills that made it so that the quality of services for future students would be better. Yeah. And it's great because your, your baseline, you said you weren't doing that well, then you introduced the intervention, mm -hmm. right? Which was ABA classwork. And then it improved, you yeah. know, like you just look at it from like everything now is like a behavior analytic to me. Like, well, you have, you know, this is your baseline then you provided the intervention. You know, that's what myself as a consultant, what I like to impart and bring to school districts and teachers, like, you know, this is what I, where I was at. And you said it with your FBA and your mm -hmm. BIP. It wasn't until you had some type of training, consulting, whatever, you know, I'd say consulting in air quotes because, mm -hmm. of, you know, you were in class. But once you had that training, you noticed the, you know, like the improvement in your writing of FBAs and BIPs. But imagine how many other special ed teachers that maybe received their training 15, 20 years ago and maybe, you know, like, hey, this is the way we do it in our district, you know, this is the way it is, you know, but they're doing it not the way, you know, um, it could be done better. And that's well, what um, I want to be able to do to help. Well, and it's not just improvement in the writing component, but also the application, which is, which is another really important part there, because ultimately the objective is to change the outcomes. Um, sounds like previous outcomes uh, for, for different places you've worked and this sounds very familiar to what I, where I worked as well as a SPED teacher was we check the boxes, we go through all these procedures, we're trying, we're truly caring and trying to do the intervention, like we're trying to help them, but it's kind of one of those things of, well, I did the best I could, so I guess the kid gets suspended <laughs> or, right. or the kid gets expelled. Um, and that sort of thing. And, and that's, that's so hard. And there, there comes a point where you get jaded. And I've met so many people who are jaded. And I started feeling jaded until I got equipped with these skills. And I feel like that's the number one challenge that, that schools and school districts struggle with is they're not equipped with the skills and knowledge that they need. Yes it's, yes, it's partly resources, especially in areas where, um, you know, the, it's, the education system is supported 
primarily by property taxes and it's not a very wealthy area. So it, it just is not great. And that that's a really screwed up system for how we fund education, to be honest with you. But either way, you know, uh, yes, it is a matter of resources for some places, but I have yet to encounter a, a teacher who, when offered valuable quality knowledge and given the right context for being able to understand what that knowledge is truly offering them, I've yet to have one of them rejected. Now, because teachers are so frequently having to do this fad intervention and that fad intervention because of the, the push and pull of the political winds, um, there's a lot of jadedness when it comes to that. And I was a SPED teacher for seven years and we went through five separate initiatives in that seven years. Right, right. So like, that's exhausting. It's ridiculous. Um, so we have to kind of beat past that learning history or maybe not beat past is the right word, maybe demonstrate the value of to the point where the teachers and administrators don't feel jaded when they, they hear or see what we're, what we have to offer. Um, and a lot of it has to do with just let me show. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes it's even from a standpoint of like not stepping on toes, so yeah. you're not going to allow you, to learn, you know, because, you know, maybe you have like here where I'm from, we have a, um, we have a um, administrative union, which is rare, and um, to have an administrative union for principals, psychologists, and um, uh, you know other administrators, and then you have the teachers' union, of course. So bringing in outside entities then becomes an issue of, well, whose job are you trying to replace? Whose yeah. job? You know, we already have someone to do that, you know, because or do we add enough? Do we add behavior uh, behavior analysts to the school district? And do you do it as, okay, are they considered a administrator? Are they considered a teacher? You know, or, and so that's why I think coming in as a consultant is, is coming in without like being, not being biased, not being aligned to one union or the other. Because mm -hmm. both unions are going to think that they're right in everything that they do. <laughs> right. And yeah. so having someone come in and say, you know, well, I'm a neutral party. And from my standpoint, being a former teacher, being a former administrator and now coming in as a BCBA, I know certain things to look for. I had, you know, I had experience to know like, you know, uh, when it comes to how we're going to have um, people coming into the classroom, how's that going to affect now your instructional time? You have state testing and we don't have time like, okay, to, how are we going to negotiate and work this all out? Could be something that like, we'd rather not do it um, or it's going to be, you know, we need to have a, a lot of meetings to get that all together. Yeah. Can you excuse me? For, no, never mind. No, oh, no. you're okay. So I told my wife that I was doing this, but she's been calling and texting me. <laughs> I told <laughs> uh, it, it happens. It happens. Right, um, right. Well, I, I feel like we've, we've hit pretty hard on, on the different ideas that, that really need to be covered. Is there, is there any like, for, for a newer behavior analyst or behavior analyst who is going into the school and providing consultation or support uh, for a client slash student, what would be your key pieces of advice that you would offer to them? 
the most important part of the saying that you would do working with a child and you want to pair mm. and you, you want to pair, pair, pair. And that's not going to happen in three sessions. <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen extremely. Like you need to take the time to get to know the people that you're going to be working with, the people that you're not going to be working with, um, the secretaries, the custodians, all of those relationships are all vital to how you're being or how you're going to be perceived when you come into the building because then people are going to talk oh he's a nice person she's a nice person this you know oh she helped me with this or help me with this help this child out with this so now when i come into a meeting i have some um have some legs to stand on in regards to people being able to hear the great things that or, or not or just say hey this person's really um coming and trying to listen and not coming in and telling this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do because it's going to immediately sour um, some staff members. And after that manifests, and as you know as well as I do, if that gets into the um, the teachers the teachers lounge, mm-hmm. <laughs> that begins to fester and fester and fester. Before you know it, you know you might as well begin in another building at that point. So my number one uh, advice would be to pair. That rapport makes a huge difference. I, I can't agree enough. Um, and really that's that's just the foundation of, of any human service, right? Yeah. Like if you don't but have a, a solid- times, some oh. circumstances, You do need to go in really fast and like, hey, we need changes right now. Mm-hmm. So you gotta be able to identify the situation, like what needs fixing right now? Because in some cases, you don't have time to, to sit and pair yeah. in that regard. Sometimes you need to, if you want to have a long lasting relationship, but if you know you're only going to be there for a couple of months or whatever, then yeah, your outlook, your perspective is different on how you want to come in and change. But if not, um, it, it needs to be smooth and, and even killed. Well, and that sounds a lot like we really, we need to be contextual. We need to be aware of the context as well, because there are times and places where, coming in and supporting and, and rescuing to not mince words on it, a teacher who's in distress is pairing because now you're coming in, you're supporting them because they're overloaded. They're overwhelmed. Um, They're, 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 I have yet to meet a teacher who has not at least started in being a teacher because they care that certainly that jading happens and that frustration happens, but, if you're, if you start with those values and you try to identify those values, that changes everything. So pairing is yeah. one. Is there is there any other piece of, of of advice that you could offer? Um, let's see. Um, I would definitely um be visible. That's one of the um, things as a as an administrator that was extremely um critical was being visible. Mm. Um, and not being in a, you know, in an office or just hanging out at the water cooler shooting, um, you know, whatever. And, but being in classrooms, you know, getting to know the teachers, being in the, uh, you know, the teacher's lounges, Hey, how can I help? You know, this is my role, you know, also taking an opportunity before getting started, like the first opportunity during a staff meeting to go over your role, you know, and whether that staff meeting be within the school or within the district and kind of going over, you know, um, your role at the school, what you're there to do um, so that everyone's then on the same page. Because if, if that doesn't happen 
And that's the responsibility of the principal or the specialist supervisor, wherever they come in to have that opportunity to, hey, look, I'm gonna give you 15, 20 minutes to talk about what you do and how you like to do it. And then ask for suggestions and what's worked and what hasn't worked. So um, those are for those long lasting, you know, like commitments, you know, where you know you're gonna be there, like start off right. Well, and to add to that a little bit, one of the things that I've noted that that makes a difference with those positive relationships is, um, and this is both with parents and with teachers, is I don't talk to them like I am the behavior analyst. I speak to them like their behavior analyst too. Not, not with the terminology, but rather with the, because the reality of the matter is we all are behavior analysts in some way. We're all keeping tabs on behavior. We're all aware, at least at some level, neurologically, that of, of ABCs, of contingencies that are going on, because otherwise we wouldn't learn, right? So it's, right. it's simply a matter of sharing the lenses and helping them to see that they can be a behavior analyst too. And sure, maybe this is not going to be their passion and they're not going to go out and be certified as a BCBA, that sort of thing. <laughs> but like, if I speak to them as a colleague, as an equal, instead of speaking to them as, oh, well, I'm here to help you. And yes, you are there to help them, but you're also there to equip them with skills yeah. and knowledge. And, it, and that comes across. Um, and frankly, this is kind of a little rant of mine. Also, we need to treat our RBTs the same way because like this, this is just an attitude that behavior analysts really need to have of we're here to spread this, these ideas so that way people are equipped so that they're not feeling helpless, so they're not feeling stuck. And once others are equipped, then guess what? We can focus on the really extreme cases where that specialty knowledge really needs to come in because the people around us are equipped with the knowledge and the skills to be able to handle those other things that before they weren't aware of. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a big old windbag. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 we could both keep going. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like that's probably a good place to stop. I definitely would love to have you on again, Anthony. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to come and speak to us on that. Um, any closing thoughts? Yeah. Anything? If, if there's any way, if anyone wants to get in contact with me, am I able to share my information? Please so, do, please do. Um, unfortunately, I just started my, my business or whatever in February, so I don't have a website yet, but they can contact me at ab.behaviorconsulting at gmail.com. So um, ab.behaviorconsulting at gmail.com? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then once you do get, get, you know, Say, so tell us part again. They can, they can get a hold of you, or maybe to get my information, or I can, you know, come down to Nashville and, you know, whatever. I can come, yeah. I can go in there. <laughs> Perfect. Well, and, um, and, and on that note, like when, when you do have your website up, I can put that up in the show notes as well. So that way folks can, okay. show, can find you that way because I'm able to update those as well. Um, thank you so much for taking the time, Anthony, to come on and, and speak to us. And, yeah, I, this is a big, very important area. Um, I look forward to having you back on the show to talk about this and other, and other topics. Um, yeah, I look forward to it too, and I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. Um, 
folks, remember that the Act Natural podcast is an open source education material. That means that you can use all or part of this towards continuing education, um, especially relating to behavior analysis and other behavioral principles. So please remember that you're more than welcome to use all or part. Just remember to also cite your sources. Um, thank you again, Anthony, for coming on. Thanks, folks, for joining us today. And we'll behave. Thank you.